In this episode, the Serenity Sisters highlight why we opted to build service-based businesses. While you may not have high capital investment costs, most consulting businesses hit challenges with scaling up. And then scaling when you're a person of one, you know, when you're starting out, can be a little tricky. So you're one person offering a service and yet you're trying to grow the business. So how many hours in a day can you bill out? And, and so there's a cap on it. And so there's that balance you have to achieve in the beginning where you have to work really hard to get the clients to get to a certain level where you can grow your team and then you can scale up. And then the scaling up is going to be very dependent on the people you bring on. And if they can provide that, if they have that same skill set and can provide the same service as you. How did Peggy approach talent recruitment in her tax credit consulting business? The best approach when you're in a service-based business is to, while you don't have inventory, is to invest a little bit ahead of the need. So I used to say, if we have a need for a new person and we knew how how our workflow went and we knew what was coming in the pipeline, and if we had a new person that we needed, you can't hire them when you need them. They won't be ready and up and running. You have to anticipate that hiring. You have to come in. In my business, especially for tech writing skills, in terms of understanding the program that we work in and understanding the client's projects and getting the format of the reports, we needed to hire a person somewhere in the neighborhood of four to six months ahead of need. And that is an investment. Perhaps you are in ideation and in the phase of choosing a business name. Stephanie shares why she called her firm Granted. It's very important in my perspective to choose a company name that isn't necessarily you unless you want to be the brand. So I opted not to call my company Stephanie Sang Consulting and I called it Granted. Yes, I'm still associated with the brand and of course they're like, oh, it's Steph's team and things like that, but I can also then slowly back away from stuff and it's like, it's still granted, it's still granted. Service-based businesses have their advantages and disadvantages over product-based firms. This episode covers so many tips and best practices for all stages of entrepreneurship, particularly if you are a consulting or advisory firm. The goal is always to help you, the entrepreneur, get some serenity now. Let's take a listen. Welcome to this amazing episode of Serenity Now for Entrepreneurs. I am really excited because we get to talk about service-based businesses. And I think there's so much um, information you hear about, you know, Nike does really well and Apple does really well, and they're all product-based businesses. And where's like the hero in service-based businesses? So we're going to chat a little bit about the why, why did we, as the Serenity Sisters, all start service-based businesses. Um, We're going to also explore the nuances, like what's different about a service-based business, and um, also what's the difference between service and and a product-based business. And then we're going to share, finally, our final golden nugget with each of you. For some of you, might be starting a business. For some of you, you might be continuing with a service-based business. For some of you, you might be pivoting from product to service. And so we hope that some of our nuggets uh, will add value and give you some serenity. And so let's start with why we started our service-based business. And I'm going to call on Peggy. It's Peggy. Tell us, why did you start a service-based business? I don't know that I really had an option. I had a skill set. I knew what I knew. 
and I knew that I could charge for that knowledge because it was quite um, niche, right? I, I had worked in the federal government for 10 years. I had worked in rulings in a tax that was very poorly understood. And so I knew that the knowledge I had had value, and I was looking for a lifestyle change. I had um second child was six months old when I quit Revenue Canada at that time, it was called. So that's taking you back, all of you who know it was <laughs> not CRA. <laughs> so I worked for Revenue Canada and I needed to not drive for an hour to get to my job and drive for an hour home. So I saw it as a way to have a business based on knowledge I had. What I didn't realize, so this is some of the nuggets we could share for everyone, is that 20% of the time you actually use that knowledge you have and 80% of the time you try to figure out what the heck you're doing. Who do I sell to? How do I get to them? Where do I, you know, where do I advertise? How do I advertise? How do I, how do I get a client? And when I get, when I'm busy doing all of that, I'm not working on a client. I'm not getting a new, the next client. So that was my first realization in a service-based business is that it's like market, 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 sales. Work, 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 market, 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 sales, work, 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 and you never like, so that's how, you know, that was the start of my, of my service based business. But I mean, we have a marketer in the crowd here. I'm sure she can speak very well to that. I'm sure lots of her clients end up there too. But Nita, you're a, you're a service based business too. So you had to market yourself. So you had to find clients as well. Why did you start of all people? Why did you start a service based business knowing better than I did? Yeah. Well, I was marketing for one company. And mine was lifestyle based. I wanted to go to Europe for six weeks and they said I could only have two weeks of vacation at a time because I was too valuable to leave. The marketing person couldn't leave for that long. What would they do? And I was like, what do you mean? Like I'll have things in place. And so I, I just thought I was just working so many hours and, you know, while I was doing, I liked the company. I like, I loved the work I was doing, but I, I wanted to have more balance and I wanted to go on adventures and I wanted to have more of a say into when I was going on vacations and what I was doing with my time. And it was, it was a nice day. Why did I have to go into the office? I was ahead of my time. You guys, I was ahead of my time. <laughs> so, if it's a nice day, why can't I work from home? So it, which was unheard of you know, at the time. So, and just, you know, leaving for vacation and dictating how much vacation you should have was unheard of when you're in your twenties and you're working in corporate. So I thought I also had a unique skill set. I also had a talent and I thought, well, you know, I don't need to work for one person. I could work for multiple people and have clients and start my own business. And that's what I did. And, you know, I'm a little, it's a little easier for somebody that's in marketing because you can apply the skill set to your own company, although it does come with its own challenges because it's hard to be objective sometimes. But it worked out very well. I did great. And my employer became my first client and I got to go to Europe and I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) And I went for five weeks. That's (laughs) excellent. Yeah. (laughs) So, Candice, tell us, how how did you pick a service-based business? Well, I'm not going to say that I picked it, but the only thing that I really knew back when I kind of fell into this this business was that I wasn't very good at routine. So 
whatever I also have a skill set. So I needed to employ my skill set on a variable number of of tasks. So, you know, having the same task on a weekly or monthly rotation just doesn't hold my interest. And I knew that at a very young age. But I'm going to say that's probably about all I knew. The rest of it just happened by happenstance. And if I was going to run a business, if I was going to run the same business again, there's lots of things that I would do differently. But I was young and young and stupid. I don't know. <laughs> or young and young and lucky. I don't know. I mean, it worked out well for me. But, there, you know, depending on what day it is, I mean, my skill set happens to be employed a lot in April. So uh, there's days in April usually where I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? But overall, I'd say it's done well for me. So what you, Rita? Yeah, it was um, it was a little different from your stories. It was a very, very deliberate choice to move into entrepreneurship after I thought I retired from the finance world. And all of within six weeks of being retired, um, you know, we we set up and launched a new business and it was service based. And it was chosen specifically because of all the hard work that goes into a product based business. So all the costing involved and all the materials and supply chain and people and operations and dealing with tons of overhead. I didn't want any of that. I didn't want to deal with any of it. After all the probably thousands of businesses that I did support and help grow, I said, no, that's absolutely not for me. And what I did want to get out of it was be able to share my knowledge and my skill set that I'd learned over the years through trials and errors and and also supporting some businesses and be able to share that knowledge. And even though a service-based business doesn't look like it has, you know, a lot of people say, well, what do you do? You don't have this overhead. You don't have all these, you know, widgets or things that you're building, but we actually do build quite a bit. We had to build process and templates and structure and process. Uh, and I'm a firm believer on it and a type A person. So we built out the roadmap and then you continually update and, and enhance it each year, you know, and layering on the risk and finance piece, which is what we work on quite heavily. So ours was very deliberate, you know, in terms of a choice for a service based business. My piece for a service based business was also a lifestyle choice, just like a few of you guys. I had worked in corporate land for about 20 years, and I was tired of working for the man or the big guy or somebody else other than me, naively or otherwise. I thought I could do it better. <laughs> Even after learning so much, you still keep learning and you kind of fall down on your face. But then you get up and you shake it off and you have a good laugh, um, you know, with some good partners and friends. But, you know, it was a lifestyle choice. I didn't want to have someone dictate to me. I guess none of us are good, perhaps, followers <laughs> on this podcast, you know. Yeah. Thank you, Nina. Like, yeah. yeah, I think we like to kind of go our own way and toot our own horns and such. But it's not as easy as it sounds because, it, you know, there's a lot of nuances to a service-based business that is separate and distinct from a product-based business. In the end, I chose lifestyle so I could control my growth and understanding and the referrals um, and pick and choose who I wanted. It's a different stage of life for me. And um, I'm still quite happy with my very controlled growth service-based business. Steph, what about you? Why did you start? You have 
have mentioned a few things that resonate with me for sure. And I think for me, it's just low overhead was the key thing. I I had a skill set, but I didn't want to go and put a bunch of money into inventory and designing a new product or anything like that. But the reality is that we have pivoted a little bit of the work that we do so that we have now created our own technology product within our company. So we're kind of straddling product and and consulting. And then we also I also went during COVID and started up a mask business for reusable masks. And so that then put me into the product side of things. And so it's when I compare the two, because I have both that I can kind of think of, I would say the overhead difference is the biggest between the service-based business versus product. Even as a tech build, you know, you have to put hundreds of thousand dollars into the development of things before you even have a sample, a, a pilot that you can even run with. And I think that a lot of people may not know that that's the amount of time and effort that needs to go into building product, both service. If you have a good service, you can hit the ground running just with a stack of business cards and a smile on your face and people will come to you. And a very, very basic website back when I started my business was was good enough. And so now we go into this section on nuances. And I alluded to a few already in terms of the difference between kind of product and service. But Nina, tell me a little bit about what are some of the nuances or things that you feel our listeners should know about a service-based business? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It, for sure, for me, I I didn't want to carry an in- inventory, but for service-based business on the marketing side of things, there is, you mean, there isn't a lot of overhead, as you say, but there is a, a lot of how you're starting out and how you market yourself and how do you attract and retain those clients. So there is a lot of you're only as good as your last sale. So you might have a contract, you might have a client short term and keeping those long term clients and building it up and then scaling when you're a person of one, you know, when you're starting out can be a little tricky. So you're one person offering a service and yet you're trying to grow the business. So how many hours in a day can you bill out? And and so there's a cap on it. And so there's that balance you have to achieve in the beginning where you have to work really hard to get the clients to get to a certain level where you can grow your team and then you can scale up. And then the scaling up is going to be very dependent on the people you bring on. And if they can provide that, if they have that same skill set and can provide the same service as you. So duplicating that service that you're able to provide and duplicating that skill set can be tricky. So in terms of design and marketing, people will often say when they're working with you, well, I don't, I want to work with you. I want to, who's this other person? You know, what are you trying to pass me off on someone else? So there is uh, some challenges there and just them attracting the right people, training the right people, retaining the right people. That's a whole nother <laughs> situation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, yes. We all know the pains of retaining. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What about um, I know in, in accounting, I think, Candice, you were saying that you've had some similar issue. Yeah. You know what? I, this is one of the things that I would probably do different if I was going to start all over again, because sort of like building a tech stack or, or building a product, if you're going to be having people try and, the you know, getting them to deliver the same service that you would provide is that's the trick. Right. And 
over the years, I've learned that having good written processes, and Rita, don't laugh, written processes, (laughs) (laughs) and discussions about expectations and communication and working on those soft skills, like you can't just expect that everybody you hire is going to have the same soft skills or appreciation for customer service or approach or whatever that you have. So you have to actually invest in training. You have to invest in communication. You have to invest in the processes. So I would argue that there is a certain amount of investment that should go into a service-based business. But we often, like Stephanie says, you got a business card and you hang out and shingle and then all of a sudden you want to make it too. And now you need to step back and, and invest in these things. Because, it's, you know, it's probably good till about four or five. But once you get beyond there, you you got to have things in place. Otherwise, your your service is changing. So it's it's either managing expectations or a lot of training to make sure that that service is delivered the same no matter who somebody comes to in the company. So I think they would call that the McDonald's model, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or the Starbucks model, right? Or the Starbucks model, yeah, yeah, yeah. I found the same thing, Candice. I think the the best approach when you're in a service-based business is to, while you don't have inventory, is to invest a little bit ahead of the need. So I used to say, if we have a need for a new person and we knew how how our workflow went and we knew what was coming in the pipeline, and if we had a new person that we needed, you can't hire them when you need them. They won't be ready and up and running. You have to anticipate that hiring. You have to come in, in my business, uh, especially for tech writing skills, in terms of understanding the program that we work in and understanding the client's uh, projects and getting the format of the reports. We needed to hire a person somewhere in the neighborhood of four to six months ahead of need. And that is an investment. Because while you don't have inventory, you just paid a person for four to six months that really isn't producing at the level that you need them to produce or they're, you know, just doing it very slowly and they're getting things wrong and it's taking your time. So that's the huge investment that you make. And and then sadly, sometimes when you get those people up and running, they become your competitor or they go to you know, become their own uh, business person. They they go to your competitor, biz, uh, to a competitor's business, or they become a consultant in their own right. And that is the huge upset I found when I was spending the time to train people. I did have a bit of a solution for that. And one of the things that I did in my business was I broke the business apart. I broke it apart into if I was going to grow, the only way I could take my skill set and apply it in the best manner was to make sure that I only touched the file when it was needed for me to touch it. So when the client talked to me in the beginning, the client talked to me in the end, I did the review in the middle and I broke it out. I broke it out so that any one person that left my company would not leave us devastated for a whole group of files. And also that any one person that left didn't have a complete skill set. So they really weren't able to go in business against me. And I would say if anyone is in a service business and you can do that, you can protect yourself from people leaving as a competitor because that that is a huge thing when you're a service-based business. You train people, you give them your heart and your soul, and you think that they're as invested in you as you are in them, and they're not. They leave, they become a competitor, especially once you train them really well. And I, I'm sorry, but I operate out of my heart. I want you to be as good as I am because that helps my clients, that helps me. 
and they do become competitors. So the the way that I prevented that was I broke it out so that they didn't really have a hundred percent of what they needed to be a competitor. And that is my little trick of the day. Love it. Rita. I was going to say, uh, yeah, love how you parceled it out. And that's kind of the same approach that I took as well. A couple of the comments, oh, people want to work with you and only want to deal with you. Um, so we kind of help people along at the beginning that you may be getting some phone calls from a few folks or some questions or emails. And I'm leading the whole thing. Uh, and I'll be with you throughout the process. But there are times that, you know, some others will be getting involved. But um, that being said, you know, ours is a very personal relationship as well with our clients, as well as our staff, Peggy, just like you guys. And so when we when we work with our clients, we parcel out the pieces of the puzzle. So whether it's the planning, whether it's the research, whether it's the financial modeling, each of those goes to a specific person. And it's based on their area of expertise and uh, level of understanding of the industry that it'll get parceled out to. And then from there, uh, amalgamating it all and pulling it together, that's my job. I love doing that piece of the puzzle because I know what kind of gaps or what could be missing. And I also kind of am able to add the the voice of our client to that piece of the puzzle when we're getting ready to submit for support with investors or angels or in our banks and such. So so I think that that's a huge piece of being able to parcel that out. But each of those people had to be trained. Each of those processes had to be built. <laughs> each of those and so what we did also was we kind of we had the base and the skeleton built out. But with each successive person, like whether it was the research division or the financial modeling division, we had each of the seniors continue to layer onto it and keep cleaning it up and making it better and stronger so that they could keep training the next people because we mm-hmm. build them up so well and train them up so well. So they all left. And then we have to recycle and start all over again, (laughs) but we're happy for them. Uh, But like Peggy, a piece of our heart goes with them every time they leave as well. So it's, it is definitely, that's, I don't know, can we call that our inventory? Um, I don't know, because that's pretty much the, you know, our most valuable assets uh, that we have in our company. So then we also had some avoidance of risk or risk exposure. So if somebody left, it's okay. You didn't actually know the whole piece of the puzzle because it was parceled out. And the second piece was if they wanted to go ahead and compete, they could totally do it. They just didn't have the background and knowledge that we had or the relationships we had. The other um, piece of the reasoning behind it was so that it could be a lot more efficient as well. And then finally, the staff themselves that's what they enjoyed. They didn't like one said no to financial modeling. I don't know why. It was very confusing <laughs> for me to hear that. Yes. Yes. Um, and and they're like, no, I actually love the research analytical piece of it. And so I'm like, go do what you do best. So everybody's in their happy place. And then don't get in into somebody else's happy place thinking you can do it better because you won't. You just you just won't. So. That's, I mean, all these things, it's so amazing because I learn from these ladies every episode. And I think there's more learning coming up because we're going to talk next about the nugget, the one golden nugget of advice that you would share with someone who's thinking about starting a service-based business or someone who is in service right now and maybe going through some growth pains. And I'm going to kick it off with 
It's very important in my perspective to choose a company name that isn't necessarily you unless you want to be the brand. So I opted not to call my company Stephanie Sang Consulting and I called it Granted. And it was it's a lot easier for me to guess I'm still associated with the brand. And of course, they're like, oh, it's Steph's team and things like that. But I can also then slowly back away from stuff. And it's like, it's still granted. It's still granted. Um, and so that's going to be my tip uh, for those who are like, no, I'm going to call it my name. It's like, well, be careful because some of these things of, you know, they will only want to work with you because that's your name. And I remember starting out and people asking me, is your last name granted? I said, who's do I look like my last name's granted? Like, no. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I, I just kind of went with, nope, granted is, uh, it's from Oprah where you've been granted and you've been granted and you've been granted. And we put an ED at the end, meaning it's done. And so the universe hears that. And, uh, that's why our success rate is high. Let's go with Candace. Candace, share a nugget with audience. I think that having earlier than later, a very purposeful approach to what you want your clients to expect from you. Because you can't give everything to all people. You can't make all people all happy all the time. So you need to decide who you're going to make happy and what you're willing to do to make them happy and be very clear about it and go with that because then you will attract the clients that that works for them. So then you're working with clients where you're giving what you want and they're getting what they need and everybody's happy because then other, because if you're trying to extend yourself beyond what you really want to give, then you're going to be, you're going to be unhappy at some point and the clients are going to be unhappy at some point and you're going to be tired and grumpy and all sorts of, of, of bad things. So I think you really need to, as soon as your business starts getting to a, a you know, a size where you're, you're needing to manage it, you need to manage that first. What do you want to give and what do you want your clients to expect? What about you, Peggy? Well, I kind of agree with you, Candice. I think you have to realize that if you are growing a service-based business and you have multiple employees, you have to realize that at some point, the service will suffer. It won't be what you need. So that's a choice. Do you have a business that you can control that? And therefore, what is the size of that business? And that's a lifestyle and a service offering type of choice that you make. There's lots of big companies that are very successful that don't provide very good service. And that's a choice the CEO made. Eh, good enough, right? But if you want it to be a boutique business where you care about every client, then you have to control the content. And in order to control the content, you have to control the number of people and you have to be able to have a hand at certain touch points throughout the process of your service. If you want to go home and do your thing and sit by the pool while your business is being run by other people, you have to realize there's a disconnect between you and that business and the, and the quality of what you might give may suffer. So for me, the number at which I could control it was somewhere between, that's probably five. As soon as you hit seven, chaos starts to happen. There, There is some magic in, in a philosophy about having seven employees where each person takes a certain role. We should maybe do a, we, we should maybe do a podcast about that. But what happens at seven is everybody acts weird. So between 
you know, about, <laughs> no, it's true. Everybody becomes this character and it's like crazy things happen. And I went from, I went from zero or Peggy to, to eight. And then I backed down to five because within five, you can control sort of what is going on. You can touch every client. You can make sure the content is what you want it to be. And then again, Rita, your words, it's a lifestyle choice. For me, that was comfortable. For me, that was enough. And so if you want to be an entrepreneur that makes a billion dollars a year, don't listen to my podcast at all because this is not the place for it. But if you want a lifestyle service-based business that has a quality that you expect your clients to get, then I would say probably just have these great touch points, parcel it off and have about five employees that you really love, trust, and they become your family. How about you, Rita? Well, I think you just said everything I need to say at this point. <laughs> Sorry, I'm <just> kind of chatty. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I'm with you. We built it for lifestyle and it's worked out. You know, we, we ended up growing a little more than we wanted and then we brought it back down, like you said, Peggy, because we're like, forget it. <laughs> I'm just not, I don't want to do all that. We opened up, ended up opening four divisions and then we said, no, you know what? We actually, you know, we opened the fourth one just because everyone else was not doing it as well as I wanted it to be done. And then I realized it's good enough and we don't need it. So <laughs> we're backing out of that again. So. You go through these ups and downs as you build and grow your service-based business because of the nature of what you're doing. You can always add on, you know, this leads to the next service or the next consulting or the next. But the reason why we brought it back down is we went back to look at what were our end goals. And the end goals were lifestyle. And the end goals were actually, you know, not to be in business, to be in business was it's to be in business to enjoy our life. And so that's when we took the step back. So I think I encourage everyone to build the business that makes sense for them and always have your end goals understood. This is what I want to get out of the business. And you can make changes. You can do different things. And your end goals can also change as well. But if you have that focus at all times, then your business will continue. But lifestyle for me was the end goal and the priority and it worked and it's okay not to grow huge yeah. right oh my goodness i i actually still have time to do other fun things i'm kind of mm-hmm. like candace who said at the beginning i can't have routine i can't have mundane even though we have a whole bunch of clients in various industries i still get bored so i needed room for some other outlets and other passions to come out like the podcast Nina, what's one other golden nugget that you can share with the rest of our audience? Well, I think we've all touched on bandwidth, right? So the bandwidth of the company and what you can take on. And I'd say my nugget is that you you can't do it all. So if you're a solo entrepreneur and you're service-based, say if you're doing marketing or design work, it's very hard to wear all the hats. So at some point, you got to decide what your bandwidth is and how much you're working and who you can bring on, whether they're a, in certain areas like website design or if somebody can do drawings for you or somebody can do certain parts of the job. I really love that. Like, don't give somebody the KFC recipe. <laughs> like, um, just, yeah. you know, let them know what, let them know one part of it, one aspect of it. And, um, I think, 
you know, it, it for me, I heard this story when I was really young about a woman that took her computer into the labor room, like she's ready to give birth, and she's sending out a few last emails. It was on oh, some no. forum. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't want to be that person. So, you know, and then you you learn you have to um, adjust expectations of your clients. So you reach a certain level where people want to work with you. They want to be your client. And then it's okay to adjust those expectations and then also bring people on. And it does feel hard at times to train people because you're like, I could just do this myself in the time that I'm showing them how to do it. And I know all of us have been there. And, you know, because I'm like, I just do it. I don't need tell and do it better. This. Yeah. And do it better. And this kid, <laughs> this kid is coming in today, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you just have to invest your time in them and invest in automating things and processes. But that can only take you so far. You need you need the people. Right. And one thing I would say about protecting your business, you know, do do protect your business, protect your recipes, protect your proprietary information. And, you know, it's okay to have non-compete clauses in your contracts. We have that for our other company, Tattoos for Now. It's a very niche company, and everybody that comes on has a two-year non-compete clause. So if they do leave, they have a non-compete clause, and we're hoping they lose interest after two years and they've gone on. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because I think all of us have had some form or or heard of people who are duplicating. And and sometimes I look at people who want to do what I do as grants, and they come in for six months, and they start their own business, and they're doing grants. And then they come back, and they go, yeah, so I'm not doing grants anymore because they (laughs) realize running a business that provide service on grants is very, very difficult. You need a team. You need, you know, you've got to have grit. you got to be, you know, I was working until 8 or 9 o'clock at night to get grant applications and clients are relying on you. So this has been a great episode, and I think it's long overdue. I think it's so important now than ever with businesses that are pivoting or have pivoted and or wanting to add a level of service to their products based business, or maybe they are starting a new, someone's starting a new business and it's in service. Know the differences between products and service-based businesses. Listen to this episode and grab all those golden nuggets. And there's some, you know, significant differences there. I've seen companies that are a couple million dollars and they have five employees. I rarely see a service-based business that is a couple million dollars and they only have five full-time employees. So it's possible, but it's it's rare. And so you really need to kind of understand it's difficult to scale when you have a person-based relied business. And so with that, um, we're going to close out this episode of Serenity Now for Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you share this episode with someone who is considering service-based businesses or maybe someone who has one and you're like, hey, you're not alone. Listen to these ladies, these crazy ladies. Um, and make sure that um, this sharing will give some, I'm sure that by sharing this episode, you will be able to give someone out there some Serenity Now. We hope you enjoyed this episode and picked up some good tips and best practices that would benefit your entrepreneurial journey. Remember, none of the content in this podcast should be relied upon as standard legal or business advice. Always consult a professional for your specific business. You may know someone who could benefit from this podcast. Please share it with your business community and perhaps it can give an entrepreneur you know some serenity now.